Would you guys go ahead and give it up for our worship team? I'm just thankful for them and and their ministry here to our church. And and at the same time, would you guys give it up for our tech team as well? Um, They're the ones that you really don't know that they're there unless they mess something up. And so, yeah, (laughs) and we just we're thankful for our, our entire worship ministry and And just how they they lead us in uh, song each and every week as we praise the name of Jesus. Who is excited to be in God's house this morning? It is so good, so good to be here uh, with you. And welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are a guest with us, we just thank you uh, for joining us for one of our worship services here at the well. Uh, We would just ask... Uh, that you would just reach in the seat back pocket in front of you and, and fill out a connection card that's sitting right there with as much information as you feel comfortable with. And if you drop that at the connection point on your way out, we have a free gift waiting for you. Uh, just a way of saying thank you for joining us uh, on this very special uh, Sunday. Now, uh, church, uh, church family, as we like to say here at the well, uh, Sunday is not only a day where we get to gather, Sunday is also a day where we get to give. And we get, ex- yeah, we get excited about giving here at the well and, and allowing our means and the means really that we're blessed with by God to, to go towards the work and mission here in and through our church Uh, We have so many things on the horizon this year uh, that we're excited to mention to you to to let you know how uh, the funding that comes in here uh, goes back out and is used. And so uh, before we get to our impact report for the last year and then a challenge really from God's word, we have a few just quick announcements. Do not forget next week is uh, Baptism and Baby Dedication Sunday. Yeah, I'm excited about next week. Uh, I will actually get to be in uh, the tub um, and get to hold people under the water um, until they yell repent. No, no, I was just, I'm just joking. I'm excited that I have an opportunity to baptize a, a few teenagers here as a part of our youth ministry, and I'm really looking forward to that, and then the baby dedications as well. It's going to be a great time, uh, so make sure you're here. For those of you who are being baptized and or dedicating your child, we are meeting right after service, right up here in the front for just a few minutes. Now, with that being said, uh, I would like for each one of you, um, there should have been a half sheet of paper that says uh, the well impact report on it. There was one uh, laid out kind of strategically around for every family. And I just want to briefly walk through this uh, with you. This impact report, it really is just a 10,000 foot snapshot, uh, snapshot view of what's been going on in the last 12 months of our church. Uh, There on the front, you see uh, our average total attendance, and that's for Sundays only. That's between Sunday mornings right up here, our our little blessings uh, downstairs. Can we we just thank all of our children's ministry workers? Uh, They tirelessly uh, keep our little blessings safe. Um, They don't duct tape them to the walls. Uh, they teach them about, about Jesus. It's been a fantastic time. So if you get an opportunity and you see our children's ministry workers, nursery workers, uh, would you just say thank you to them? Uh, they are a huge, huge blessing uh, to our church, and they help us facilitate what we do here on Sunday mornings and even Wednesdays on Wednesday nights uh, And so just please, if you get an opportunity. And so uh, that number there on the front is what we're averaging on Sundays, um, on on Sunday mornings, and then also Sunday nights. That includes our youth ministry uh, as well. And so that's that's adults, kids, and youth ministry. This is not Wednesday nights or Bible studies or anything. This is just Sunday morning. Now on the back of that, there's a few ministry highlights that we just wanted to note for you. We wanted to talk a little bit about our guests, and we actually have some of this number here, our guests that are still currently attending our church, which is awesome. Uh, God is bringing people. Uh, we, we see membership families, so families that join to say, hey, we, we support the mission of the well. Uh, we see salvations and baptisms. These are actually lives that we've seen changed through our ministry in the last 12 months that we can confirm uh, with them through life change. 
And then on the bottom half of that is really just our online reach, social media visits to our our Facebook pages, how many individual people have watched services online. These are unique viewers, 680 different unique viewers uh, that have watched services, which really brings me to the next one. The SoundCloud podcast, for those of you who do not know, we take the audio from every service and we upload it to our church website as well as to SoundCloud, which is available on like your iTunes uh, podcast uh, store. And there are 164 unique listeners outside of Facebook that are listening to our sermons week in and week out. And so our reach is not just right here in this building. We're, we're impacting lives, yes, globally with, through our missionaries, uh, but through social media and, and even through um, podcasts that are being put up. And so church, I, I know some of you uh, think that the internet can be a huge tool uh, of the enemy, but the internet is also uh, being used right now to bring forth the word of God to people who can't make it into our congregation. And so uh, we are thankful uh, for those opportunities. And there at the bottom is just a a brief snapshot of our quarterly income uh, that is coming in for the church that takes care of our facilities and and my salary and takes care of our missionaries overseas and, and things that break because they have to be fixed. It keeps you guys comfortable here during the summer and warm during the winter. Uh, And so, uh, church, we just thank you. Uh, We thank you for your faithfulness and and really God's faithfulness in and through you as you've made an impact in in our church family, on our church church finances. And so at this time, I'd actually like to take a a closer look at that. And so if you guys would uh, welcome uh, one of my board members, our church board members to the stage, Amy LaForge. Uh, She's going to come at this time and kind of unpack. Yeah, you... How's that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Hello. Um, In addition to the ministry highlights, you got another half sheet with pretty graphs on it. They're very exciting. I like my graphs and my numbers. Um, So our fiscal year runs from June 1st all the way around to May 31st. So that is why these dates are here. Um, For the all-in capital campaign, missions giving, and then just regular tithing, I put the totals there. Um, And so overall, <clears throat> on the back side, it, I, from the year 2021 to 2022, our overall giving t- total is there. And then you can see for last year, it went up. Yay, that's awesome. Um, that's, thank you very much. And then we actually projected a much larger budget for this coming year. We, we bumped it up a lot because we want to hire the new pastor, and we want to finish the the building uh, amendments. Is that a good word? Building amendments, and <clears throat> and increase our our giving to our missionaries. Um, when Hannah and Enos went on the field, we added them. We also have um, the Hemrins and then the Gerdes family that we are supporting. And we have a compassion child. His name is Hennick. And I don't know if you noticed, because I walk past it a lot, but there's a, a bulletin board there with cool information about our missions. Um, so the general idea is we, we have a plan. Um, we are moving forward on things. Um, the youth pastor, we've had some questions about that. When are you going to get a youth slash worship pastor? Well, we're trying. Um, it, it's not a fast process. I've been in a lot of churches where we kind of just rolled into stuff and it never worked out well. So we are taking our time. We are praying our way through. We're waiting for God to really make this exactly what, what he wants. Um, anything else would be nothing short of a disaster. Been there, done that. It's not fun. As for the bathrooms, we've also had a lot of questions about that. When are they going to be done? We would love them to be done. That would be awesome. Unfortunately, we ran into some procedural issues with the construction and 
um, trying to make you know, what's done work and get the plumbing in. And we thought we had one plan, but it turns out there's another plan. And so we're working on the plan. Um, but we hope to have those snags resolved in the next couple of weeks and move forward. And we are really hopeful that we could finish the entire project, have the new entry and everything in, in September of 2024. So we initially said three years, we were guessing, and we're hoping to get it more like two. So I know it seems slow, but it's actually not. So that's all I have. <laughs> so um, they'll probably hate me for this, but uh, before we go any further, I just want to say a couple of um, say a couple of, of things. So uh, the last year of, of ministry here uh, in our church has been one of, of continued change, one of continued growth, and, and one really where myself and, and our, board, our church board has, has really been seeking the Lord about what he wanted in the next 12 months from our church. Where do you want us to go? Where do you, where do you want us to make an impact? Who do you want us to talk to? Uh, what ministries do we need to have? Where should we change? And uh, to be honest with you, uh, there, there is a group of, of individuals that, uh, if I could just be really honest, it took me a long time uh, to trust um, I've been hurt multiple times. Many of you know my story, but there, there are a group of individuals that I have learned to rely upon and, and trust with my entire life. Uh, do I believe that they're going to be perfect in every way? No, but these individuals, not only do, uh, do they keep my crazy um, at bay, <laughs> um, but uh, they are a huge support they pray for you as a body. They pray for my family. They're here for us. And that is our church board. And so I just want to recognize them, and, and they're going to hate me for this, but I would like each one of you, as I call your name, to just stand in church. I, I would not be able to do ministry uh, without these three individuals. Um, I would not. Uh, not at all. I would not be able to do You know how I, would, I talk about my wife, and I would not, would not be able to do ministry without my wife? Right, so after my wife, I would not be able to do ministry without these three individuals. And so first is, is Amy LaForge. Um, next is Ken Davis. And last but certainly not least is Michael Golden. It is with the help of these three that we navigate each and every decision here in the church. Uh, there is one individual, um, though, that I did not name, uh, and here's the reason why. I am going to name him, and I do want you uh, to please um, say thank you to him as well. Um, a few months back, uh, Rick Poole um, had made a decision to kind of take a step back in this next season from being on the board, he, I, Kim, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Rick was somewhere on the board like seven or eight years or so, maybe even a little bit longer because he stayed on uh, with me through a lot of the transition. And so he's downstairs actually today serving with our little blessings. He teaches down there once a month with our team. And so when you see Rick, would you thank him as well? Uh, though he is not a part of that current board uh, that meet together on a regular basis, uh, he has still been a listening ear for myself to our team. He's given us some guidance in a few areas where we needed help, and he's just made a huge impact uh, in my life as an individual as I've sat with him uh, many a times one-on-one -on -one over coffee. And so I know he's not here, but we, we love Rick just as much as, as the others. Um, and so um, if you would... Now, church, uh, I would like you to please open your Bible with me to the book of Acts. I'm going to be launching a new series today that is probably going to take us some time to get through. And 
for us today, it is an important day, a vision Sunday, where we reflect on all of God's goodness and his mercy and grace to us over the last year, but really directing us towards where we go over the next year. And so I'm not sure about you, uh, what image comes to your mind when you hear the word church, but it's probably a good ways off from what the early church was and is talked about in the Bible. Now, it's probably a, a good ways off from how they even understood church in the early, early stages of the first century. Now, church, at its very inception, was essentially a movement, a movement that was built around the conviction that Jesus had died and he was the only savior for, sin, for sinners and that he had risen from the dead, proving that he was who he said that he was that he was the rightful Lord of all people everywhere, and they were now commanded to repent and were invited to come home with him. Now, in the Greek New Testament, so the original writing of the New Testament, the word church comes from the Greek word that if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard. It is the word ekklesia. How many of you have heard that word ekklesia? right? A good number of you, right? That word in the Greek literally means an assembly or a gathering of people around a specific or certain idea. This is where the word church in the Bible came from. In fact, if you break that word ecclesia down to its root form, it means to be called out. It means to be called out. Now, over the years, over the years, a terrible thing happened. People began to think of church as a place that you went to for religious services. It, 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 it was a place where people just gathered together to receive something. Now, our English word church and why we, why we rarely use the word church here at the well, does not come from the Greek word ecclesia at all. In fact, it comes from the German word kirch, which means a sacred place for religious gatherings. It doesn't even come from the original Greek, the intended meaning. The shift in thinking changed the fundamental way that people related to the church. I mean, through the dark and Middle Ages, people went to a building. It was a place that you attended or an event that you sat through rather than a movement that you as a believer were a part of. And so the church became an institution, an institution that essentially provided services for people and it was controlled by powerful men who used it to serve their own interests. But then something amazing happened. Something that only could have been done as an act of God. God began to raise up a group of people called the Reformers. And those people began to go back to the very word of God and say, this isn't right. Something has to change. And one of those individuals, one of the main men for the English-speaking world was this man right here. William Tyndall. How many of you know William Tyndall? Tyndall came to the conviction that Christianity was essentially a movement and that if people were going to be devoted to that movement, they had to understand the message of God. It was his life work to produce the very first translation of the Bible into English. That's what this man did. If you'll just leave his picture there for a minute. That's what this man did, his life's work. And every time he came to the word ecclesia in scripture, he translated it as congregation, not as church. He was trying to emphasize that the church was not a place where you went, but a movement that you were to belong to. And that infuriated the religious leaders of that day because it undercut their authority. Eventually, Tyndall was tried as a heretic. He was hanged and burned at the stake 
because of what he believed. Do you know, during his trial before his death, he said that if God spares my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scripture than you do. Not in his arrogance, but because of his love for the Lord. And as he was being burned alive, his last recorded words were this, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Now, I know it's not everyone's preferred Bible translation, but if you have a copy of the King James Bible in your possession, you can see that God answered the prayer of William Tyndale in a very unique way. King James allowed the printing of the English Bible after he allowed the execution of that man right there. But this is what the church is. As William Tyndale believed, a movement, an assembly of people, a gathering of people built around a certain idea that moved. And the danger of the church in every single age is that we cease to begin a movement and become instead a ministry that provides services to people. Or even worse, we become a place that people simply attend. A building that people gather in on Sundays. Church, you're going to hear me say this a lot for the next several weeks, but movements move. Movements move. And if you're a part of the movement, then you're moving. And the question for us this weekend, are we as a church just doing ministry? Just running an institution? Or are we a part of a movement? Are we a part of a movement? For you... Is the church just a place that you attend? Or is it a movement that you are personally and actively involved in? And with that being said this morning, I want us to please look at Acts chapter 1. I want us to see what we can learn from just a few verses here in this chapter. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I want you to make a mental note of that. Jesus is telling the apostles to wait. And he says, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you right now, Lord, and, and as we have read this portion of scripture, we're asking that you would um, illuminate what we need to hear and receive from you this morning. Give us a heart um, that breaks for what your heart breaks for. 
And dare I ask, Lord, to make us so uncomfortable in our sin that we, we run to you for change and a deeper, uh, more intimate relationship with you so that there is a sense uh, of, of the end in our thoughts. Not panic, God, but a sense that there are people who are lost and need you. Use this, this series that you have brought before us. Use this portion of, of Scripture uh, to mold and, and shape our thoughts and, and our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has got to be one of the strangest scenes ever described in the Bible, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus gives the largest assignment that you could ever imagine, and then with hardly any explanation whatsoever, no plan of action, he just leaves. He just leaves. And, and I, can, I can imagine the disciples standing there. They're like, wait, what? what, what the, the whole world? You want us to reach the whole world with the gospel? And Jesus is ascending into heaven. And they're like, Jesus, do you even realize how big the whole world is? And Jesus is like, yep, I can see it all from up here. Right? You don't even begin to know how big the, the world is. But this is where it all began. This is where it began. 2,000 years later, here we are in 2023 with more Christians on the planet than any other religious group, all stemming from a group of 12 fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors. And so there are two important notes that we must see about this movement. And the first is this, that the message captured their hearts and minds. The message captured their hearts and minds. Their conviction was that Jesus had died as a substitute for sinners. I mean, Jesus was not just another prophet with another religious message. He was God himself. He was on a rescue operation to save us. And in turn, how do we respond? We, we crucify him. Because we are a rebellious, traitor race of people who, who would rather run our own lives than submit to our creator. But in the universe's greatest irony, our murder of Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death was the payment that God accepted for our sins. If we would just acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and receive that forgiveness. I mean, they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead because they had seen it with their own eyes. I mean, it proved to them beyond any doubt that he was who he said he was. I mean, the apostles understood that if this were true, this was the greatest act of grace that was ever imagined in the world. God the creator, dying for his rebellious children. And it was the most important message that was ever given. Why? Because it's our only hope of salvation. That's why it's the most important message. And if this were true, then there can't be multiple ways to get to God. There can't. If there were other ways of salvation, then God would have never had to put Jesus Christ through the cross. If there are other ways, when Jesus sat in the garden, dropping almost tears of, of, or sweating drops of blood, saying, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass me, let it pass. If there were other ways, why wouldn't God have said there are other ways you don't have to endure this? Why didn't God just say, just be a good person. Be sincere and I'll, I'll accept you. Donate money to the church. Help that elderly person get across the street and I'll let you into heaven. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through who? Except through Jesus. I mean, Peter himself, right? Loud mouth, 
not think before he speaks, disciple Peter. Just a few chapters from Acts 1, Peter summarizes the apostles' message when he says this. It's going to come to the screen. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. The, the apostles would begin to take this message all over the world. They, they had also seen Jesus' death, uh, uh, God, so beautiful and glorious that he was worth giving away their entire lives for. I mean, a God whose glory deserved to be spread amongst the people of earth. I mean, they, they had seen Jesus command the hurricanes. They had seen him converse with the angels. They witnessed him controlling the demons. They watched him walk on water. They watched him heal the leper and the lame. They saw him raise the dead. Yet in the very hour that Jesus needed most access to those powers, he turned his back on them so that he could give you and I life to sacrifice for our sins. And the apostles are like, you are a God that should be worshipped in all of the world. And when the apostles were dragged in front of the Sanhedrin and told them that if they didn't shut up about Jesus, that they would kill them, do you guys remember what the apostles said? You have to do what you got to do, but I have to remain faithful to the word of God. And so here's my question. This morning, now that we have a little context of what's going on, do you believe this testimony? Do you believe it? Do you believe the words that are written in this book that we so freely have access to? Has it captured you? Has it captured you until you could not shut up about it? I mean, are you willing to go anywhere with this right here? Are you willing to give anything up for this, for it? Because if you're not a part of the movement, you're not following after the word of God. Movements move. Movements move, church. And so are you moving with this message? Are you moving with this message? Because if you've been captured, if you've been captured by God, you probably don't need a vision Sunday to get you into the game. You don't, you don't need a, a day like today where, where we as a church look at numbers and look at our, we, we don't truly need a day like today if we've been captured by God. We don't. I mean, could you, could you really, really, I mean, just think for a moment. Could you imagine the apostles needing a vision Sunday? Like, I tried to think about this. Like, we're all dying out here. What are we doing this for again? I mean, I think about each and every disciple and apostle that was martyred and murdered for Jesus Christ. With the exception of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The only one that recorded history says died of old age. All of the others were murdered, drugged behind horses, pierced through, stoned to death, beaten by clubs. And I think to myself, what kept them going? Because there's really no such thing as someone who believes the gospel and then sits on the sideline. There's not. And as I think about that, there's a story that someone shared with me years and years and years ago and was about this small little town. And the only way to access that town was going over a very large bridge that was over a body of water. And it was in the dead of winter. And an ice storm had come upon this, this little village, this little town. 
and it completely collapsed the bridge, and there was no way in or out of this little area. And cars continued to travel down the road right off of that bridge, right into the water, person after person, car after car, plunging to an icy death. And one man was driving and went over, and he, he by the grace of God, lived. He lived, and he climbs out of his car, engulfed in flames, and he, he climbs back up, and he's standing in the highway. Ice and snow are just coming down everywhere, and he's trying to stop others from plunging to their death. And he stood and he's shouting and he's waving, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. And car after car just passes him right over the edge of the bridge. Life lost after life lost. And so he finally takes off his jacket and, and he decides to stand in the very middle of the road. And a driver comes pulling up to him and, and he begins to yell, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. And the driver skids to a stop and he gets out of his vehicle and, and he's angry and he said, what do you think you're doing on a night like tonight? And the man softly replied, the, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. And the driver stands there in, in, in shock that this man would risk his life so that he could live. He risked his life in danger so that he could live. The apostles were captured by the message Are you? Which really leads us to my second note this morning is that the apostles yielded themselves to the leadership of the Spirit. I mean, again, this had to be the, the strangest scene in the New Testament, right? After laying upon uh, the apostles the Great Commission, right? He just, he leaves. Never was there a more important assignment that had been given to a less qualified group of people. But here's the clue. Go back with me to verse number one. It says that in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I want you to stop right there. There's some clue here for us. This book here, the book of Acts, was written by historian and physician Luke. The same man who wrote the gospel of Luke. The first book that he's referring to is that gospel. The gospel of Luke. The first book that he wrote. And he's writing to this man, O Theophilus. You're like, who is this guy? We don't know much about him, but history tells us outside of the Bible that Theophilus was a skeptic of Jesus. He didn't believe the things of Jesus. And he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Luke is giving us the implications of the book of Acts. He's saying it's not that in the gospel of Luke, Jesus worked. And now in the book of Acts, the church is working. He's saying, no, 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 no. Jesus worked in his fleshly body in Luke. And now he's going to work through his body in the book of Acts, through the people that follow him. He's inviting the church in this very moment not to do it for him, but to join him as he does it in and through us. I mean, Acts 1-4, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. How many of you in here um, have a type A personality? You're very decisive, maybe a little over-aggressive. Nobody, don't be pious. I have a type A personality. And uh, as, I, as I look at the Gospels, 
As I, as I read and study the life of the apostles and the disciples, I can't help but think that some of the apostles had type A personalities, right? Jesus is like, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And, and the disciples, I, I can just imagine it in my mind. I, I'm sure they were like, wait, like Jesus, people are dying. You want us to wait? Like, well, we have to get organized, we have to write books and we have to have leadership conferences and we have to have all of these ministries so that we can reach all the different people. We have to have it all. We, right now, we, we have to get it right now. And Jesus is like, no. I'm trying to show you that this is not something that you do for me. It's something I do in and through you. In and through you. In every chapter of the book of Acts, you get a sense that the church is simply following the Spirit. He's the real mover in the life. He's, he's working in people over here and, and over there, and he's moving the believers into those same places that he's working. They just simply yielded themselves to him. Wherever you go, God, I'll go. Wherever you want me to be sent, uh, I'll go. Which really begs the question before us this morning, have you yielded yourself to God? Have you yielded yourself to God? I mean, the book of Acts has no real ending. It's just over at the end. Paul had gone to Rome to preach the gospel and he ends up in prison and he says that he's going to win converts there and then it just stops. It's just cut off at the end of Acts, like cliffhanger. How many of you are readers? You like to read books, right? Have you ever read a book where it just stopped at the end and you're like, what in the world just happened? And then it's like, five years from now, we'll release the second, right? And you're, you, you want it to happen. It's the same way with Acts. It's like Acts is just over and you're like, Paul, what, what happened? Is, is, is Luke going to say something else? Are we going to get Acts phase two? Like what? It's just gone. And that's because the movement had just begun. It had just begun. The Spirit of God was moving you into people's lives to complete the Great Commission now that the apostles and the disciples were gone. I am a believer. Look back with me at verse number 8 because I want you to read Jesus' promise. He says in verse number 8, but you, but you will receive what? Power. When what? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so there are two ways that I want to identify for us that the Spirit's power has come upon you. And it's not because you stood in front of some church meeting and someone slapped you with their jacket. The Word of God tells us two ways. Two ways. First, He says spiritual gifts. Don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying gifts of the Spirit here. I've, and if you want to know where our church stands... Go back and listen to our Romans Bible study because we believe God still moves. But I'm talking about the gifts that are given to us, not the gifts of the Spirit, but spiritual gifts. Every believer has been given a spiritual gift, hospitality, teaching, serving, exhortation. These are spiritual gifts. And I don't have time to go into all of them, but they are the ways that other people experience the touch of Jesus through us. And they all have one point, to propel the mission of Jesus forward. All of them. Every single spiritual gift. Do you know what your spiritual gift is this morning? 
Do you know what it is? Have you embraced it if you know what it is? And if you're in here and you're like, I have not the faintest idea, come and see me after church. Come and see me. And the second thing the Spirit of God does for these believers beyond giving them the spiritual gifts is he empowers each one of them to testify. He says, and you will be my witness. You will be my witness in all of these different places. Now, the Holy Spirit does a whole lot of things in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, but the main thing that he does is to fill people to share the gospel. He gives them the power to share the words of Christ. In fact, any time we see that the, the Spirit has filled someone, they began to proclaim the word of God. The filling of the Spirit here. I've been filled in my heart and I will proclaim with my mouth is what we see here in the book of Acts. Think about this. Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit proclaiming the coming of the Lord. Luke 141. Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit proclaimed God's blessing. Luke 167. Zechariah being filled with the Spirit prophesied about the coming glory of Jesus. Acts 2, 4, the Holy Spirit filled the apostles at Pentecost and they began to declare God's praises in multiple languages. Acts 4, 8, Peter is filled with the Spirit and preaches to the rulers that Jesus is their only hope of salvation. Acts 4, 31, the disciples are filled with the Spirit and they speak the word of God boldly in the face of persecution. Acts 9, 20, Peter or Paul is filled with the Spirit and immediately began to preach in the synagogue. Time and time and time again, immediately they began to share the gospel. Is that you? Is that you? Do do you regularly proclaim God's word to other people? Do you regularly proclaim God's word? I've been in ministry a really long time and I've had this conversation with people on opposite ends of the spectrum. And there are a few excuses in my years of ministry that I've heard that in in some senses I understand. But I want to address a few of them. Because maybe you've fallen into one of these categories. Maybe you maybe you have. Have you ever thought, and please don't incriminate yourself, these are rhetorical questions. Have you ever thought to yourself, I don't have what it takes to share the gospel? I don't have what it takes. I've heard that numerous times in in ministry, and, and my response to those people is always the same. Yes, you do, because the Spirit of God lives in you. Yes, you do. You do have what it takes. I mean, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, he said that sons and daughters shall prophesy. And that word prophecy or prophesy comes from the Greek word propheteo. And it means to divinely be empowered to foretell. To foretell. Which, which is this, it is a person who advocates for or speaks forth God's word to another. That the Spirit of God is constantly at work around you preparing people to receive the Word of God. And the Spirit of God uses you and I to speak the Word of God and that's it. That's it. But maybe you're in here and you're like, well, pastor, it's not my gift. This one makes me laugh a little bit when people say this to me. Because yes, there, there, are, there are people that have a special ability and a very, very unique way of eloquently Laying out the word of God for another. But according to the Great Commission is the responsibility of all believers to share the gospel. All believers. That means every single person that is a believer should learn how to share the gospel. My next favorite one is when people say, well, I witness with my life. My first thought every time I hear that is, how do you even do that? Because the gospel is not a good example about what you do, but a message about what Jesus has already done. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. 
It's about us telling people about the things that he's done in our lives. Yes, that changes your action. That changes the place that you go. It changes the things that you watch and the way that you speak. Yes, it does all of those things. But sharing the gospel is about speaking the name of Jesus out. Which leads me to this this next excuse. And and I understand this in, in a sense. Talking to people about Jesus makes me feel uncomfortable or weird. Well, of course it does. Of course it does. Someone once told me that evangelism is two nervous people talking to each other. But here's the thing. The the message should be important enough to us to be worth a little weirdness. I mean, to be honest, I'm looking forward to to hearing someone explain to Stephen or to Paul about why you didn't share Christ because you felt weird. Like, oh well, I got stoned. My skull was crushed in because I preached the gospel and you were nervous because someone was going to look at you funny. Evangelism is always uncomfortable, church, but it's so worth it. Once all of the, the excuses that we have have been brought forward, here is the question. The, the, the question that remains after we weed our way through all of the reasons why we don't speak, speak the name of Jesus, do you really want to bring people to Jesus? Is really the question that lingers before us. I mean, would you be like the guy on the bridge? The bridge is out! The bridge is out! Would that be you? I mean, they say necessity is the mother of invention, and that's true in evangelism too. That's true. It's not a technique problem. It's a belief problem. It's an apathy problem. I mean, Charles Spurgeon said that if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep the good news to yourself. You will be whispering it in your child's ear. You will be telling your spouse. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. More hearts will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of your sweetest love. Every Christian here, church, please please hear me this morning. Every Christian sitting in this room, watching online, who will listen to it later? Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the the kingdom of Christ, or else your love for him is not that great. It cannot be that there is this high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Because if you really know Christ, if you've really truly experienced his mercy and his grace and his love and his forgiveness in your life, it's, be, it's like the one who found the sweetest honey you will call other people to taste of it. You'll be like the beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. Like you have to go and tell the other hungry people that you found Jesus. And I I use this word cautiously, but as you begin to experience God in in your life, there is almost an anxiousness that you want people to find him too. Church, movements move. Movements move. And if you're not moving, have you truly embraced and believed the message? I mean, there are two core principles that started the movement here in Acts chapter 1. A radical, deep-seated belief in the message of Jesus Christ and a yielding to the Holy Spirit. Those are the two things. A belief in the message and a yielding 
to the Spirit. And in light of that, in light of all of those things, here is how I see our church. Here's how I see our church. We want to be a movement. We want to be a movement. God, God has been doing a work in my life and in, in my family's lives and, and in, in our board and in our church about what, what, are, what are our next steps for the next 12 months and beyond. We want to be a, a moving church. And as we begin to move, that means that we have to be willing to grow. And that means both spiritually and physically in numbers, we have to be willing to grow. And why are we willing to grow in both of those ways? Because throughout history, when the church has moved, they've grown. They've grown. That was how it was in the book of Acts. I mean, 3,000 people got saved and then baptized in Peter's first sermon. Could you imagine trying to fit 3,000 people in here? Right? And then, and then a few weeks later, after Pentecost, another 5,000 people were saved and baptized. Now, church, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with a small church. Please, please don't. Don't hear something that I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong with small churches. Many churches in the book of Acts started out that way. But movements grow. Movements grow. And you, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I don't like large churches. Well, then you probably would not have liked the church of Acts. And, and for that matter, you probably won't enjoy heaven. Uh, I'm just, just being honest. There's, there's going to be a lot of people when we get, there's probably even going to be people that you didn't like. <laughs> we here at the well want to empower and release you as the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. A portion of scripture that I've held fast to, there are really two. My personal, my personal life verse, Philippians 3.14. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God that is found in Christ Jesus. A life, a life verse, a verse that should be tattooed upon the heart of every single follower. I'm going to press towards the mark because the high calling is found only in him. He's the prize. He's the prize. But really, in ministry, I, I take that verse and I use it as the, the launch pad for what God has called me to do as a pastor. God has called myself and the other leaders in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. For two years, we have stripped away, laid a, a very level and, and steady foundation by the hand of God, and he's built upon that. For two years, God has been preparing the well church to be used here in Ionia, and, and in ways that we probably can't even fathom right now. For two years. And so today, church, I'm saying as your pastor that we want to empower you to be the hands and feet of Jesus outside of these four walls. We never want to become a Christian ministry here at the well that takes care of our own needs or people, or, sorry, that takes care of only our needs and becomes just a place for our own religious services. That's why at the end of every service, I don't say you're dismissed, I say that you're sent. We've been preparing the hearts and minds of our people to be a church that embraces going outside of these four walls and, and sitting right here in these chairs and listening to awful sermon after awful sermon after awful sermon. We've been preparing you, church, because the greatest ministry that we have should be happening outside of these four walls. And that's why, that's why, church coming in this fall 
we are going to be pushing each and every one of you to connect with a small group that will meet in someone's home. A group where you can begin to grow and, and, and be changed and develop community in a smaller type setting. That small group that's going to meet during the week at some point is going to challenge you. And beyond just that, that challenge in the word of God, they're going to call each one of you to action as we begin to serve our community in different ways. Serve them. We know it's, it's more comfortable to just be with a few people and, and just stare at each other, but we believe that God is like a spiritual cyclone. We, we believe that he draws you in and then pushes you back out. And so are you engaged? Are you engaged this morning? Are you moving? Are you ready to be a part of the movement? Because practically, practically speaking, you look at Acts chapter 2 and it all started with prayer. It all started with prayer. And, and when you are following Jesus, your prayers become about the mission. They began to be focused on, on the mission at hand, and, which really leads me to this question that I have been asking myself and, and my wife and I have been talking about for several weeks. If God answered all of our prayers in, in, in the last week, if he answered all of them, how many people would have joined the kingdom of God? How many people? Because that will really show you where you are in church being a movement instead of, of some religious purpose. And so you're like, Pastor, what is, the, what is the specific challenge? What is the specific challenge to us this morning? Well, there's a few depending on where you find yourself. Maybe you're, you are in the place where you've attended church here, but you've never joined. You've never said, I, I support what God's doing here at the well. Maybe that's you. And maybe that's your very first step. Saying, I commit to being a part of this community. I commit to whatever God wants to do in and through me right here as we begin to impact Ionia. Right, Ionia local right here where God has placed us. I know this phrase gets used sometimes way too much in the Christian culture, but I honestly believe, honestly believe that God has brought this church right here with this group of people, with this group of leaders for such a time as this. For such a time as this. 2023, with a broken culture in need of Jesus. You're like, well, what if I'm already, what if I'm already partnering with the well? Well, then go to our foundations class that's going to be happening this fall. A class that myself and another individual are going to be teaching you about the foundations of Christianity. And you're like, well, I've been a Christian for years and years. Yeah, well, you should never stop learning. You should never stop growing. Come, come to the class. Well, what about being a part of a small group that's starting in less than eight weeks? Meeting in, in people's homes. Because small groups are the best way to discover ministry and get into discipleship. It's the best way. And you, you may be out there and be like, well, I have had bad experiences in the past. Well, give it another shot. Give it another shot. Now, the church is a movement and movements move. And if you're not moving, then I don't know that you've truly embraced the message because complacency in the Christian life always points to being out of touch with the urgency of the message of the gospel. And it always points to us being blind to the glory of Jesus Christ. 
And so I'm calling you as your pastor to start here in just a moment and engage in the mission. Engage. And maybe you're in here this morning and you're not a Christian. I mean, statistically speaking, in a room this size, there's a portion of people that are not true believers. And I don't say that to to be scary, and I'm not going to stand up here and slam my fist down and say you're going to hell, but I just want to address this. Maybe you, you are here this morning, and you're not a Christian. And you're like, and this is what I don't like about Christians. This right here. Plotting to convert people. Let me just say this. The message found right here in this book has shaped my everything. I've staked my eternity upon this. And I have to tell you. And so I would say, look at him. Look at Jesus. If you're in here and you're still unsure, look at Jesus. Well, what do you think of Jesus? Not me, not our board, not our church, not our children's ministry. No, no, no. What do you think of Jesus? Well, what do you believe of his claims to be God and and the only way of, of salvation? Because I encourage you to take a moment to seek the Lord. And you will be surprised by what you find. And so I'm going to ask everyone to end differently. I said all of this started. The 120 were gathered in the upper room and they prayed. It said they prayed in one accord. They prayed for the same thing, the mission. They prayed for the mission. And so, we as a church have to start today. Yeah, we've been bathing this in prayer. But now we're saying, church, we, we want you to start bathing it in prayer too. We want you to join Because this church is not, the board and I, is not just us four and no more. We need each and every one of you that have been gifted in your own unique and special ways. And so I'm going to ask you at this time. Because it starts first inside of you. It's between you, you and God. And so I'm going to ask you to be in an attitude of prayer for just a moment. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Stop worrying about your lunch. I encourage each one of you right now to take a moment to seek the Lord. I want you to reflect on the message of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his proof of his identity as the son of God. Consider this morning the significance of his sacrifice. The salvation that was offered through him alone. And then I want you to ask yourself as you are seeking the Lord, is this message truly captured my heart and my mind? Ask yourself, be honest with yourself, are you willing to go anywhere and give up anything for this message? And if you've been hesitant or complacent in sharing the gospel, let go of excuses and fear. The importance of the message outweighs any discomfort and awkwardness that we feel. And then as you pray, I want you to consider how you can actively engage in the mission of the church.